Hi folks and welcome to the latest edition of Plastic Grass Square. I'm your host Aaron Lucas and we're coming to you from Melbourne this time around as we prepare to go to UX Australia 2018. This episode we're talking to Donna Spencer, design leader, product all-rounder, general roustabout. Uh, there's nothing she hasn't done. Uh, I'm sure many of you know her. She's always got really interesting things to say and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with her. Donna, good morning. Thank good morning. you very much for joining me on Plastic Grass Square. Plastic Grass Square? Yes, yes. It's almost like I came up with the name by looking at the things around me on my desk. <laughs> uh, how are you? Good, thank you. Excellent. Enjoying uh, life in Melbourne? Melbourne is excellent. Yeah. And even though it's cold, it's not as cold as Canberra. No. So, uh, <laughs> it's very true. 13 degrees is fine. Yeah, mate, nothing's as cold as Canberra. No. Uh, Donna, uh, you've been a practitioner in uh, the design industry for a little while. Small while. Yeah, maybe like five or six years. Something yeah, like. or well, four times that. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Um, can you give us a, a quick sort of background? Maybe not the whole four times that, but uh, <laughs> no. let's, maybe let's talk about the last five or six years, what you've been up to. Um, actually, well, I'll give you the potted background. Potted background. Yeah, okay. potted background. Um, for Just for context, because, yep. so I've been doing... UX, information architecture, those kind of things since before many of them had a name. Mm -hmm. So kind of 20 years of experience of user research, usability testing, loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of work with Mm -hmm. information architecture, really complex information environments, um, loads of experience in UX, all kinds of industries, all kinds of topics. Yeah. So even like my, my 20 years of experience is actually more relevant, interesting yeah. than what I've been necessarily doing for the last couple. Excellent, yeah. excellent. So, I mean, just thinking about some of the other guests we've had uh, on the podcast, you know, we've, we've had a few designers and, and, and a few people who really do focus on that research and that UX mm-hmm. part. We haven't really spoken to many people yet uh, who work with information architecture right. and, and go through that sort of process as part of a design project. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about what that is and what it is that you do to organise it or, yeah. So, as usual, it it depends entirely on the kind of content that you're working with. Mm -hmm. And the reason that you won't necessarily talk with people about it is that, ah, (laughs) Mm. it's kind of fallen off the radar. Mm. Um, And, like, it used to be very top of mind when we were kind of early in the web and trying to figure out how to structure stuff, how to get people around it, how to help them find it. And a lot of, we figured out a lot of practices. Like we know a lot of how to do navigation and filtering Mm -hmm. and searching and all those kind of things. So it's actually not top of mind in UX anymore. Mm. Though it's still super important for anything that, anything that involves like actually a large amount of content. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, and it, 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 it's, it both involves like strategic big picture modeling kind of work. Like what does this pile or content set, like what's it made of and how do pieces connect together mm-hmm. as well as how do we eventually get that on screen or out of the computer when you've asked your um, assistant, which I won't say because I don't want everybody's assistants going off. Yep. Good <laughs> when call. you ask your assistant to give you a thing or an answer, mm. like how does it know how to go away and find that and get the right answer? Mm. So IA is necessary for all of those things. Yeah. Like it's still around and people are still doing it. Yep. Just, we're not talking about it so much. And is, and is that 
because like you say that the you know the process of it is a little bit more established now we kind of know how to organize information so that people can find it um i think many of us i think we knocked off the um a lot of the kind of straightforward best practices yep and this is gonna this is gonna come out a little odd. I think the UX community then got super jazzed about people, users, uh, discovery, prototypes, jazzy, mm. cool, fun things, and mm-hmm. forgot a little about underlying structures. Right. Yeah. Um, so there aren't many like. I'll occasionally meet a new UX student who's like, "Oh my god, I just learned about information architecture, and that's what I want to do." Yeah. But most of them want to. Um, run workshops, do discovery, figure out, what, like, strategy. And that's all great because it's yes. super important. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that that glossy um, work uh, looks shinier than the awesome underpinnings. Yeah. Well, I mean, you like, you know, it doesn't matter how much glitter or how shiny you make a product. Yep. If the information underpinning it is chaotic, yeah. the product's going to be going to be hamstrung like it's not going to work very well and projects get hamstrung yes, and you can't right. build on them you can't actually you can't make a product better or make it work if mm. you haven't if you don't have a structure there because it's like super hard to go and refactor a database um and or re-tag a whole e-commerce system yeah. or all the things like if you haven't set it up well from the start and thought about what is needed mm. and sometimes like sometimes this happens with agile projects as well you get started you roll along mm. and you and the nice thing about agile is like biting off a piece playing with it putting it out but sometimes you have to stop and go actually now we need to completely reshuffle how all that is set up mm. Mm. Um, anyway it's still super cool work it's just oh, yes. not as visible as it used to yeah be. yeah is um do you feel that or think that a lot of the time working on information architecture is a, almost a remedial activity. It's something that you come to fix as opposed to something that you get to organise from the beginning. Uh, I, my projects used to always be fixing. Mm. Um, but not always. It depends if, you, if you're starting something new. Yeah. You have the chance of like figuring out your like both what you're working with and where that information is and whether it's yours or someone else's mm. and all that. Mm. Um, but also kind of making sure you're setting up the structures from mm. scratch. But yes, so, of course, a lot of us are fixing things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for for a designer who is a little bit newer to the space perhaps or, or even outside of the design space, are there any, um, are there any t- tricks or tools even that you really like to use to sort of help <clears throat> organise or get a, a sense of how the information should be organised? Because, I mean, like, like anything that we do, we could sit there and organise yeah. it how we want. Yep. But... We're, we're, you know, as the mantra kind of goes, we're not the user. We yeah. need to work out how. Um, to do this well, you need to tackle it from two sides concurrently. Mm-hmm. So you literally have to understand the content you're working with at depth. You can't just know like a surface level of this is what the content kind of is. You have to understand the concepts inside it. You have to understand the concepts inside so that you can figure out relationships properly. Mm. Um, so you, you need to... So I like I know all kinds of random things because I've had to do all kinds of random projects where I've had to dive deep mm. and understand what we're working with conceptually, not just, oh, yeah, we've got videos and written content on these kind of topics, but really how do these concepts hang together? Yeah. So you have to understand that on the content side and then you also have to understand the people who will be 
approaching or using that information and their level of experience in relation to those concepts as well. Mm. So like if you're working with something really complex, but the folks who are using it also have a really solid conceptual knowledge, you would then do something different than if you're working on something super complex and the people who are going to use it um, need to learn through that or to approach it and pick up a tip or to approach it and like take the first step on a learning journey. Those are really different and you have to understand both sides at once Mm, mm. um, to then patch it together. Mm. Speaking with a large supermarket (laughs) who uh, on their end, the thing that matters a lot is the size of soda bottles. Yes, right. So Mm. soda brand by size, people want to buy the brown one or the orange one yes, yeah, or the yeah, white yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. So they think that first before size. So you need to understand where they're coming from and what their yeah. kind of use is. And before. you also need to understand like what how that content fits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so just a little bit to think about then, yeah. as there often is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thinking about, um, I guess, the organisation of information and, and, you know, how we use that. We were talking just before we um, started recording today about, um, I guess, artificial intelligence and machine learning, which are, you know, are things that are, are very much grounded in the organisation of information. Yeah. Um, is there a, um, you know, is there a big difference, I guess, in, in how you would organise information for those sorts of um, activities as opposed to how you would organise them for, you know, a website or, or whatever? For all of them, and this is why I'm kind of interested in this area Mm. and what's happening in it Mm. and how it's being used. Any time we are, we as designers, uh, trying to help people find something that they might need or want, Mm -hmm. um, whether we're doing it manually by categorising things, by saying, here's a good example, I've I've worked with other large clothing retailers Mm -hmm. who will... So let's take the example of... Mm. let's say you take the example of things like toys and games. So you've got a, this is something we can all get our heads around. We know that there are toys and games. We've got a a concept of what that is. So you you might not want to just dump all the toys and games onto a page of search results, for example. You might want to still block that down to help people narrow down to a bucket that they want. Mm. Many retailers will have a, Category that is for kids or something like that. Or it mm. might be for boys or girls. They're doing that less these days. Yep. But every time that we put a set of content aside in one way, we're communicating to people who is permitted to use it, mm-hmm. what it is for, how it should be used. Um, and sometimes, maybe not in the toys and kids example, but sometimes we're excluding people. So there are many cases where people who aren't kids anymore might want to actually use those things for all kinds of reasons. Mm. Um, but saying by saying they're kids' toys means sometimes that adults won't approach them. Yep. Sometimes it says this is too junior for you and you're not allowed to be at it or have it. Mm. So it communicates to people sometimes who they are and what they should be, Mm. um, 
in a way that we don't necessarily think through when we go, oh, I've got too many toys, I'm going to break them up into boys, girls, kids, age ranges. Every time we categorise, we're doing a piece, um, we're telling the world how it works. Yeah. And, you know, this is, we, we absolutely know this is the issue for gender mm. by, by, by making things into these binary buckets um, we're communicating to the world what boys do and what girls mm. do. We're getting better at not doing that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to follow my thread back. Every time we do this, whether it's by doing it manually, by making a taxonomy, by tagging, categorising, we're setting up the world in a particular way. Mm. Um, sometimes we're using that to exclude people from products and services as well. Uh, so I was using an example in... A, um, a talk the other day where um, there's some forms on Centrelink that ask questions like, um, are you married? Mm. Um, or or what your relationship status is? And they never explain what the consequence of that is. They never explain anywhere, if you choose this, we will assume that you have somebody financially supporting you. But they, they'll just, they, they knock it into a category question instead and go, okay, you're married, therefore we won't give you services Something. and funding yeah. because we're going to make an assumption that you um, are being financially supported. Mm. I mean, that's a rough example, but, but it, it, it really it happens. There's yeah. no transparency in when you choose something. And insurance is like that as well. You go through a house insurance form and you choose all those categories. Mm. They're not necessarily clearly bounded um, and you don't know what the consequence is. And it's not like you want, you want to lie, but no. you don't know when, you, when you're between am I that or am I that, um, you don't know what, what's going to fall out of it. So when we then start thinking about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, mm. uh, not only do we not necessarily see how the intelligence is making decisions and basically categorising things and mm. choosing products or choosing videos to show you or um, making decisions about what products they're going to offer you next. Mm. We can't see those. But we also, as consumers... So, one, as consumers, we don't know what's happening. Yeah. We don't know what we're being excluded from. We don't know what we're being told is permissible for us. Mm. We don't... And, and, and those of us who know about it don't know what training data has gone into those systems. So, we, you know, we know that there have been examples where the training, training data has been based around, um, you know, primarily young white people. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Young white people. And then you use that training data to train your AI to make decisions on behalf of everyone. And those decisions are not going to suit everyone. No, definitely not. I mean, how can they? <laughs> they can't. They've yeah. got the wrong training data in there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what... I, I haven't actually... So I know that there's a problem here. I know the problem is around categorisation, transparency, understanding how um, how we let computers make decisions for us. Mm. I don't know what the solution is yet, though. I don't know if the solution is making sure that designers are in those conversations, making sure that there's an ethical transparency, making sure there's someone looking at what is our training data, mm. what's it based on, um, what's going into it, and do we have diversity, inclusion, um, you know, all, all, all those important things covered off yeah. before we let the computers run 
Ah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we ah! let them go skydiving ah! us. <laughs> now I'm terrified. No, well, I mean, you know, it's it's that whole thing, though, around the organisation of information. You know, like, mm. we, we have to, and I know this is something you've talked about a lot, but it, we have to be really careful, not only with the information that we gather and think about the reasons behind the gathering of that information, like mm. you were talking about yeah. with Centrelink, but then how do we, if we really do need it, how are we organising it and what are we doing with it to make it actually useful as opposed to almost um, uh, unintentionally punitive in a way? Yeah. Because um, there's there's plenty of ways that, you know, um, I know for myself, um, uh, going through forms that collect gender information is really annoying. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's silly. Like, it's silly. And, and so often... You and I, like, know each other. And yeah. I don't play roller derby. But you and I, like, do lots of the same things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, I'm actually just remembering something something a little bit silly, a bit nuts I did just because I like to try and break things. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I signed up for a newsletter for the NGV um, about 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the sign-up process, like, I'm used to, like having to do a title like Mr., Mrs., yeah. Professor, Doctor. Yeah. I always choose Professor because I find it hilarious. But NGV also allowed you to choose honorifics. So oh, you, yeah, could add, right. you could add letters after your name. Anyway, I went through the list and found the largest group <laughs> that I possibly could. Um, and it turned out, I didn't realise this at the time, but it turned out when I looked at that group later um, that it was all these, um, it was OBEs and knights orders from the Queen and all kinds of stuff. And the only person in Australia who had ever actually gotten all of those was Sir Ninian Stevens. Wow. But they had left Holy that cow. data sitting in their database for, for sign-ups. And so anyone could go through and say, oh, yes, click, these honorifics apply to me. But what would they even do that? Like, they can't possibly be using that category for anything. Exactly. Unless it's like people with that get special access and we assume that people are going to tell the truth yeah it doesn't even need to be there no like all it needs is is if this is going on the membership card yeah why can't it just be a string yeah well it's you know like it's um it's it's just useless data like yeah i can't i and even at the time i remember commenting to my partner at the time i i don't understand why they're gathering this but i'm just going to put it in there and i bet it was single select as well and you couldn't choose more than one of them uh, no, you exactly right. You had to pick, <laughs> it was a drop-down box and you had to pick from a list. Yeah. So you could choose all these different um, degrees or PhDs yeah. that you might have or undergraduate degrees and all this other stuff. And like I said, I just went through the list and found the longest one. I was like, I'm, gonna, that's just, I'm just going to have that one. That's just ridiculous categories, isn't it? Exactly. I mean, we can't... I mean, we also we also shouldn't just pick people's examples apart without knowing the context. But no, I literally can't think of an example of where they would use that to do anything. Yeah, and then I can't think of an example of why they would use that information and what they would choose or exclude. Yeah, and it just like I mean, it's, so it's you know, I, I guess I can only guess that you know they have uh, that column of data in their database becomes available for people to select so at some point yeah um sir stevens was a member of the ngv um and has wrote it put, on his membership card of, of course like passed it out out of an old database yes yeah 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 so it's you know it's it's fairly it's really funny it, it, do that. Uh, i just i still laugh about it <laughs> <laughs> um 
but yeah, like it, it, it's just it's such clearly lazy data management and really lazy organisation of yeah. data because they're just like, oh, we've got all this stuff and we'll put it over here and put a skin on it. Oh, look, we've got a sign up form. Yeah, it's um, you know, you really do have to think through this stuff. Yeah, um, and in particular, like you were saying with AI, like you know, it it makes me wonder a little bit about something I've been talking to a couple of other people about, which is this idea of of designing for enough. Yeah. Or do we just keep designing more? Like, you know, I know um, uh, there's been a few people who've been talking about this idea of, of do we really need to constantly refresh web resources? Do we need to constantly refresh products? Or can we get them to a point where, like, they're super functional, they do what they're supposed to do, and every now and again, because technology improves, yeah. we need to we need to do something about, about it. But do we really need to be doing these constant projects where, like, every every 18 months... We do like a, a a whole new release of something. Is is it really necessary? We live in a freaking capitalist economy where our measure of growth is GDP. Yeah. And a me- and the thing that we care about is growing. Mm, mm. No, of course we don't need to keep making things and make more things. Mm. And make them bigger and add more products and add more features. Yeah. Mostly, we shouldn't need to do that there's a really interesting ethical and sustainable line around that that isn't solvable just by designers. It's solvable by some designers saying, I know my skill set worth and value and I can choose who and what I work with. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a really privileged place to be. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, There are a large number of designers who don't necessarily have that ability yet to say I'm not going to go and work with something that just keeps making more things and throwing more money at mm. um, making more things or selling more shit. Well, I mean, the online, uh, the online betting industry wouldn't be where it is today without someone having to make that kind of... Yeah. And it would be... A, I can appreciate yeah. that for a lot of people that would be a very difficult decision. Yeah. You know, I, I have rent to pay and I yeah. need to eat. But I, I, I feel like this is something that yeah. we probably shouldn't be making better. But yeah. I still, I still need to live. Yeah, it and would be a tough I know spot. people who have worked in those industries, mm. um, and I'm, I'm not ever going to judge them Mm-mm. because I mean there is a frame of that of this is a service that exists. I can actually make a good, ex- not necessarily a, an experience that encourages people to. Um, get into a situation that's unsustainable, mm, mm. but I'm going to do this anyway. Let's make it a let's make it a good experience. Like yeah. the people who work in those kind of industries, um, and even the companies themselves do have um, do ha- like they have more ethic around what they do than you think. Yeah. Um, I was just I think this is kind of a bit of a random tangent, but I was thinking about this whole thing with I know people who are working on. Um, stuff like banking products, mm. and I'm not, I'm not tying the you know the the, the, the two, two together. evils no, it's together. A, it's a random tangent, like it's you a, said. it is kind of a random tangent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and kind of the, the discussions are often about we want to make um, we want to make banking better. We want to help people understand their finances better. Mm. We, we, we will put the, um, the AI and the machine learning across 
um, people's spending habits so that we can tell them about what their behaviours are. Mm. And every time I hear one of these kind of discussions, the assumption is that the consumer is like only has one set of bank and bank accounts, yes. banking, yep. and that somehow the service provider um, can provide this magical solution, um, which the, 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 the place where this tangent is going is, um, and it's all still around categorization mm-hmm. and, and, and thinking about who's what and how, pe- how we classify people, mm. where we don't fall into these neat buckets of service mm. and um, like this. So I have three credit cards at least that I rotate around yeah. so nobody gets a full picture of my banking and spending behaviour yeah. because I don't want or trust uh, an organisation to know everything about what I do and buy. I don't want them giving me recommendations mm. and I don't want them trying to help me manage my finances. Mm. Um, when I apply for a home loan and I have to fill out this form that's based on my employment history. Um, I can't do this because I have been running my own business for a long time, but sometimes I dip in and out of full-time work where I'm being paid a salary. I don't fit a model of what a person looks like, Mm. but our models, and this is coming all the way back to categorization and how we categorize and classify people, our models are around a model of full-time work. Full-time, consistent, end-to-end chunks of work. Mm. I was talking to somebody last night. I'm having real trouble with um, a service that many people use to look for and find work. Mm where I can't see the metadata that runs it that is about me. But I spotted some the other day that indicated that the metadata had said that I have three years' experience. Now, the only way I think that it can do that is by, when you look at my sequence of employment history, which is a big mess because I ran a business. um, So it has this long-running kind of, you know, 2004 to current. Then it has the UX Australia stuff from 2009 to 2017. And then it has... Um, a piece of work that I did two years ago, a piece of work I did last year and a piece of work I did early this year Mm. in a natural end-to-end sequence, I think it's picking up just that piece of work that looks linear. And I started musing about this idea, and I don't know if it's true, but I'm like, so one of the things that is characteristic of women's work Mm. is that we often dive in and dive out of work, have gaps, sometimes have overlapping parallel things if we're working part-time casual Women's work often looks really weird and patchy Mm. um, just because of, uh, like, taking time off for children a lot of the time, childcare, sometimes also um, caring for family members. Mm. This is a big, fat generalisation, but often men's work is more structured, more linear, kind of more end-to-end. So it got me thinking about whether this particular job service was making assessments um, of my, like making metadata about me that I can't see or control mm. based on a model of structured pieces of work with start dates, end dates, and one thing at a time. Mm. And it made me wonder, and I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but I, I might, uh, I'm going to dig into it if I have a bit of time and see if I can figure out whether, like as an external without seeing the algorithm, yeah, yeah. whether there's some guts in this or whether whether it's just like me having... Uh, excuse me, brain fart. <laughs> I couldn't think of a polite way to no, phrase no, that. No, no, I think that's the, that's um, the appropriate term, yes. Yeah, or whether there's, whether there's, I don't know, whether there's something in it. 
that, that then I'm being excluded from the algorithm mm. from somebody who's looking for a senior UXer or a senior service designer or somebody who's got 18 years experience yeah. because the algorithm says I have three years. So it's not So it's not going to show, you're not going to pop up in their, no, in their so list. And... I'm not going to pop up for the right jobs, am yeah. I? If, if this if this metadata is built on a model of consistent end-to-end work where you have to feed the system with the right data, yeah. all this is fine if it's transparent. Yes. Like if they say the way we do this is to look like this, make sure that you set yourself up. Mm. I'm all right with that if they make it transparent yeah, and yeah. tell me so. I can like wiggle my work around the same way that I had to wiggle my employment history around to get a home loan. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so the bank understood me. Yes, um, and didn't ask for 10 times more paperwork. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting thinking about, like, the models of um, the model, like, what is the model of work? Mm. What is the, what do we make assumptions on the standard model and what are the exceptions to that? And who is falling out of those exceptions? Yeah. Who are we excluding? What are, you, what are you missing as a result? Yeah. yeah. Who can't ever get into a thing because you've assumed a category yeah. and a behaviour? Yeah. Um, into your models, and this is only going to get worse as we build more models and run more things through machines. To try and make things easier. Because a model is a unquote. simplification of the world. I yeah. know this from Economics 101. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They started talking about like models and we're going to, we'll exclude um, inflation, but I'm like, what? How does that work? Yeah. And then I gradually understood like how you make a model. Yeah. But it is a simplification of the world, and by simplifying, you exclude a lot. Yes, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. and it's super interesting and, uh, and, and, and slightly scary. I, I have to say... Very I'm, scary. It is very scary. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this by a job service that um, that isn't adjusting its model of work, though. I don't and, know. I mean, I'm only seeing no, no, this from well, the outside. I mean, let's, let's you know, yeah. Yeah, from the outside, let's hypothesise that they're not, yeah. and that their algorithm is, is a little bit stuck. Yeah. Um, especially when... Um, and you and I haven't actually spoken about what the job service is. I'm just going to take a punt. Um, this job, this organisation actually spends quite a bit of time researching how the job economy is changing. Writes a lot of article about I'd the nature so. of work changing. Like they, so they yeah. they you know they're publishing all this stuff, uh, you know on a on a journalistic side almost. Yeah. But they're not actually integrating that into their own business practices. And I really don't know. It's just it's uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I yeah. don't know, but I that's why I want to dive in and mm. see if I can see it. If they just, if they just made it transparent. Yeah. It's easy to you can work with it. It's so much easier to yeah, work with. Yeah. But um while I can't see how my non fitting of the world mm. um makes decisions about me mm. and you know this works I mean this happens in getting things like home loans as well you don't yeah. get the model and you spat out the end or getting a credit card yeah you don't fit in the, into their model you spit out the end yeah because you've done because you've had gaps in your work or all kinds of things that are random mm. as as we go through this over categorization which is what we're which is what is happening yeah um you know it, all it does is make it makes things better for a narrower group of humans yeah is what it does. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And who fit a model. Yeah. And who if, are doing behaviours that are similar enough to behaviours that other people do that yeah. they can fit a model. Um, and I actively try to break those behaviours. Yes. I spread my browsing history over five browsers with two of them kind of locked down and secure. Yeah. Um, I do all my kind of random work research in a browser so that it 
dilutes the things that I actually care about. Yes. Like, I'm actively trying not to look not... like I'm modelable. Yeah, yeah. You're, <laughs> you're actively trying not to create a pattern. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. But, you know, who knows what the, what's going to happen when yeah. somebody tries to... <laughs> so, I'm going to apply for a service. Well, yes, indeed. So, I, I guess I'm thinking about, you know... Um, where a lot of AI work works not the right word. Where the you know it's still obviously in its infancy and and very much we're still kind of in a machine learning phase at the moment. Yeah. Like AI is a yeah. long way off, yeah. but definitely machine learning. Yeah. Um, you know, large organisations are starting to take advantage of it. But I feel like a lot of the productization of machine learning is still happening at a at a smaller, more micro level, like at a startup level. Um, I don't think so. So I was listening this one. I was listening yes, to podcasts okay, on the yeah, weekend yeah. Yeah. Um, just to get a bit of a my head around the field. Mm. Um, there's a lot of it doing. So I was listening to this case study about restocking behavior, restocking for a large hardware retailer. Yes. Yep. Um, so they're you know they're using machine learning to understand mm. how the how products move on and off the shelf so they can restock faster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so there's like there is lots of large things happening. There's a lot of there's a lot of it in marketing. Mm. So there's like large marketing, um, um, a lot of like retargeting marketing. Yeah, so all the okay. retargeting that you see is yep. based on um, machine learning. So yeah, there's, there's a lot happening in large places as well. Mm. Okay. Yeah. We so, just don't know it because all we see is an ad pop up. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, I know, um, you know, even uh, it, it's become more obvious of late, but, you know, two or three years ago using social media services and, mm. you know, you know that you've looked for something for a reason and then within minutes yeah. it's a, yeah. appearing as an ad yeah. um, within a social media service. And yeah. I, I know for a long time that um, uh, that broke a lot of people's brains. They're like, how, but how do they know? It's like, well, because yeah. you're in the same browser, you, you know, like because you fed the data to the system yeah. basically. Somebody um, said to me the other day, somebody young mm. said to me, why do, why does it why do all the ads think I'm pregnant? <laughs> and I said, I suspect I know what kind of uh, this friend of mine um, has a couple of favorite YouTubers who she's been following for a long time, right who would be a couple of years older than her, and they're having families. So she's watching these YouTubers who she's like grown yep. with for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I reckon. You're being targeted. You're being picked up and identified as someone who's potentially pregnant. Yep. Because of because of who you watch. Yeah, and because of the metadata contained within yeah. those videos. Yep. Um, and because like And because of the machine learning of people who watch these also watch these, also do this, follow these other things. Yeah, you yeah. get you know, she's gotten it she's gotten leaked into a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really funny. Why do they think I'm pregnant? Yeah, yeah. Dearie me. Probably, probably missing some other important information, I suspect. So, oh, dear. Uh, yeah, it was funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, Donna, uh, I think... Transparency. You know, all this is, all we need is transparency. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you know what, actually? Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 actually something that's really difficult to achieve. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I know from my own experience, like, you know, I, um, I spend a, I'm a volunteer sports administrator would probably be the best way to put it, mm. uh, both on a local and international level. 
And a lot of the issues that we have in terms of um, administrating sport um, and especially relating to our members comes from the fact that not all of our processes are transparent. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and a lot of the time it's not that you know anyone's thinking maliciously yeah. or acting maliciously, and the same would be true with, with a lot of products that, we, that yeah. we look at as designers. But it's just that well, I've got this job to do and I actually know how to yeah. do it. So I'm just going to keep doing it within the parameters that I'm provided by the by the amateur sports organisation yeah. that I'm administrating. Um, I have these rules that I have to behave yeah. by. I'm just going to do them all. Yeah. I'm going to do all the things and make stuff happen. You know, I'll make sure the bills get paid. I'll make sure that games happen and all the yeah. rest of it. And then all of a sudden you realise that you've been doing that for a few months and people feel left out. Yeah. Because you, because you don't, vocalize yep. or write down what it is that you're doing yep. people feel feel lost and confused it's really hard mm. to do i mean this is this is why this is a genuinely complex area it's really hard to define all of that up front yes i was listening to this and i can't remember it was probably on this american life or radio lab or somewhere mm. um a story about um a runner a female runner who was excluded from running mm. because she failed a gender test and they went through the it went through the history of gender testing from mm. times when they used to women used to, have to lift up their skirts mm. through to i think urine testing mm. through to kind of testosterone level testing to figure out what this is it's really hard to identify this stuff up front yeah and go this is what this is like the boundary that we're going to make here yeah um and it was a super interesting story because of the evolution of the definition yes. in this particular sport. Yeah, yeah. And it is genuinely hard to predict how, like, what you need to set up now to make those decisions. Yeah. It's mostly we, you know, have hit stumbling blocks, realise that people have been excluded, don't fall into the right categories. Yeah. We, we're not measuring in the right way and we have to change what we're doing. Yeah. It's really hard to think of up front. It, it really is. And certainly that's one of the one of the things I've noticed like over the last the last few years, um, again, you know, in, in this kind of realm is, of, of sports administration. I don't know what's you don't you don't know what's not transparent no. until you go past it and someone's behind you going, Hey. Yeah. Why, why don't I know about this? Why have you excluded me from this? Yeah. How come I'm not part of this? Yeah. Um, so you're right. It's it's super difficult mm. to um, to predict. Well, it's, it's impossible to predict yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, you know, it's not only impossible to predict, it's actually really difficult to remember as you're stepping through a process, at what point do I need to inform my colleagues? At what point do I need to inform the user about what it is that yeah. I'm doing? And why did you make a decision in that way? Did it yes. come out of your bias? Yeah. Did it come out of your guidelines? Did it come out of something else? Yeah. Um, all of that. Yeah. Getting uh, getting asked a lot. <laughs> I get asked all the time. Why? Not all the time, but why did you make this decision? It's like, well, because over the decade or so that I've been involved, I've yeah. this piece of information and this piece of information and this is what I know about this person. And I put all of that together and yeah. decided that we were going to do thing X. Yeah. Oh, but what about thing Y? Well, the, that doesn't suit. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it's, I'm waving my arms in the air, like describing blocks, like Tetris, by the way. Just oh, we've case. been doing that for however long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both drawing pictures <laughs> in the air here. Um, I probably need a camera or something. Um, but right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, um, 
transparency of information mm. and transparency of categorization and what your intentions are for that yep. are super important. Yeah. So I think we can wrap it back because like we've just spun out a whole bunch of scary thoughts. Yes. And people are no doubt probably thinking, I'm, I'm now taking the podcast <laughs> interviewer role. No, here. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably thinking, what the hell do I do about this? Yes. You've yeah, not yeah. given... And like right now, while this is complex, we don't know what we're doing, it's like, I'm just going to say, just like think about it. At least use all of this to be aware that categories exist mm-hmm. and we make decisions based on putting people into buckets Yes. and be aware of what kind of decisions we're making and how those get made yep. and how, like, how our training data sets feed our machines. Yeah. And how our training data sets feed our brains. Yeah. And oh, how yeah. Our <laughs> yeah. like our world training data yeah, yeah. sets. Um, so if we're mindful of it, we've got a better chance of um, identifying potential areas where people could be excluded. Yes, most definitely. And I guess the other thing to think about as well is that if you find this conversation as parts of this conversation as terrifying as Donna and I do... Yeah. That means now you're thinking about it as well. Yeah. And it's not just you and a few other people that we know yeah. thinking this way. The more of us that start to think about what it actually is we do with categorization, like you've said, yeah. and how we how we treat people and how ca- using categories or the misuse of categories can exclude people, the better. We yeah. all need to be thinking about that. And it kind of doesn't even really matter... Um, a lot of the time, what it what our job role is. No, um, we we all we're constantly making decisions based on data sets. Whether it's like you said, our personal world data set. Yeah. Uh, there's always decisions that we're making based on on some kind of data. So we just sort of have to think ethically and think clearly about what it is and who might who might be left out as a result of the decisions we make and how we can work around that. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. All right, Donna. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Excellent. Um, We're going to do this again, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks again, Donna. Uh, Always fun to chat with you. I hope you all enjoyed it, folks, and uh, we'll be having Donna back as a guest again very soon. Alrighty, that's it for this episode of Plastic Grass Square. Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you find us. Uh, If you want to get in touch, shoot me an email, aaron, A-R-O-N, at blueegg.com.au or hit us up on Twitter at blueegg tweets. Alrighty, folks, thank you very much. Speak to you again soon.